0: Well, welcome back to the Batuta Advocate Radio Show. We hope you're enjoying 2020. Uh, it's been the first couple calendar weeks of the year. A lot of you will be back at work by now. And a lot's been going on in the news cycle. Of course, we've had the cricket wrapping up. And one day has it started in India. And of course, the bushfires. And now, the torrential rain on the East Coast. But it's been, a, it's been a tumultuous time politically. And it seems, Errol, our Prime Minister may have lost the confidence of the nation in the last couple of months. Well, that
1: doesn't matter at all because the next election's coming up in a couple of years. So, you know, in a couple of months, no one's going to remember these bushfires. No one's really going to care. They're just going to care more about the end of the financial year, what's in store with the second budget. And um, I guess we'll just go from there.
0: Yes, the uh, mainstream media definitely missed the mark there uh, in the election. Uh, It was pitched as a climate election. No one really voted on those issues at all, as we learnt through the landslide to Morrison... But, you know, he—he, he, it is interesting that he is polling so poorly so recently after winning mm. an election like that, and that is because he tends to struggle in a crisis, we've learnt. Uh, Christchurch, and now, of course, the bushfires, he's more of a tough-gets-going kind of guy. No, he's certainly not uh, a crisis
1: prime minister. He's certainly not a wartime prime minister. He's just a prime minister who routinely goes on national television and makes a kind of himself which we haven't really had for quite some time. Not since Kevin, I would say. Well, Kevin, you know, his heart was in the right place. He might have been a bit too clever to be the Prime Minister, as we saw with Malcolm. There has to be a happy medium, and I think that Scott is a bit on the lower end of that spectrum. I think he might be a bit too dumb to be the Prime Minister. I think you need to be on, like, a Howard level or a Beasley level.
0: Yeah, you need to be a quiet, quiet achiever. But you know, it, it's interesting. We've spoken about this before, and we, if you'd come on, if any of you had made it to one of our book launches, we were asked this question a lot: uh, How did we end up with Prime Minister Scotty from marketing? The answer, I guess, you could say, is when when you're looking at a lib spill like the one we saw in August 2018, uh, there were two options in the first spill: either Turnbull, um, the Queen's English-speaking aristocrat from the eastern suburbs, or you had the uh, human rights-violating highway cop from uh, North Brisbane. That was the first spill. Turnbull survived that one. And the second spill arose. And then this time there were a couple more candidates. There was, of course, uh, Dutton again, who um, forgot how to count briefly. There was Scott Morrison, who ended up bringing home the silverware, who was a happy medium, I guess, in between those two options we had between Turnbull and Dutton. We ended up with a Husky Evangelical from Cronulla Shire. But there was another candidate as well that that put the hat in the ring and that was Julie Bishop MP. Yeah, and I, and I think harking back to what I was saying
1: before, um, you've got to find a Prime Minister that's, you know, that that is in the middle ground. You know, you, you can't have one that's too clever and you, you can't have one that's too dumb and I think that Julie Bishop was too clever to be the Prime Minister and I think that Peter Dutton, obviously, because he couldn't count, was too fucking dumb to be the Prime Minister yeah. and now we're stuck with
0: this guy. marketing, Professional. Now, Julie has uh, since found work. She actually was a part of the Liberal Party brain drain uh, before that election. She resigned alongside uh, Laundy and Pine. And uh, she's since uh, started working uh, with a financing group, Greensmill. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, is is kind of enjoying semi-retirement now. But while she was still in in the seat down there in, uh, I'm not sure what it is, is it Curtin, WA? yeah. Nice part of Perth. Nice part of Perth. She was still in the position. We actually met up with her uh, shortly after the Lib Spill. At so, the Cottesloe Surf Life Saving Club, I yes. think it's called. Beautiful part of Beautiful the world. Beautiful beach. Beautiful we beach. We can see what Powderfinger was singing about, you know, with the sunsets over the beaches. Uh, it was a nice part of the world. This was actually in the wake of the Lib Spill, where mm. she'd, uh, she'd missed the gong, but um, she was still, you know, doing her job, and as we learned, was a bit of an icon in that area, and now. This is a, a bit of a throwback, Christmas time archive podcast for you. And this is myself, Glancy Overall, and Errol Parker sitting down with Julie Bishop, former MP for Curtin and a former foreign minister. <music> Well, here we are on uh, halfway through the Batuta Advocate Roadshow. We're currently sitting in Cottesloe Beach um, in the um, lovely, lovely uh, coastal areas of Perth. And uh, we're sitting with the local hero and local member, Julie Bishop. Thanks for joining us.
2: Welcome to my beautiful electorate. And look at that beach out there and the perfect weather. You're in heaven. It's
0: amazing. There's no waves. That's because of that island. Yeah, that's because of Rottnest. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, you can you can surf out there, as you can see, plenty of people on their paddle boards and a bit of body surfing, but it's a perfect day, perfect yeah. day.
1: Yeah, it doesn't really compare to Lake Burley Griffith, does it?
2: It's a little different from Lake Burley Griffin in middle winter, you're right, yeah.
0: Now, we notice you've got one watch on. You only keep one watch on because you're kind of dealing with Canberra time a lot as well. We did the flight from the East Coast, and it's not something we really like doing that often, and you do that... Often. Often, yeah. The
2: three-hour time difference is a real killer. And I wish we had daylight saving here in Western Australia, but as you know, it fades the curtains Mm -hmm. and upsets the cows that are being milked. Exactly. So you can't do it. But the three-hour time difference does uh, make it challenging because just as you're getting up, everybody's halfway through the morning and just as you're getting into the day, everybody's going home. But the flight time can vary between, you know, three and a half, four, five hours, depending upon the headwinds, tailwinds, and it takes a hell of a lot of time out of your day. But when I was Foreign Minister, I was doing a lot of travelling overseas, so the Perth to Canberra flight seemed like a walk in the park. Yeah.
0: Have you missed anything important on that flight in your career?
2: Have I missed anything? As in, I've been on a plane when yeah. something exciting happens. Whenever when
0: everyone the time. gets to be in Canberra, you on <laughs> a plane and something's happened. Maybe they've changed prime ministers since you've been. Sometimes
2: <laughs> it's a good place to be. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I would have got back to you, but I was on a plane. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it can be it can be a two-edged sword.
1: Do they let you use your mobile phone on the on the com planes?
2: No, the new flights overseas. Have Wi-Fi, and then suddenly you're lying there, and bing, a message comes up. You think, damn, they found me. But uh, we still don't use mobile phones on planes across the country.
0: Yep. Now you've recently returned to the backbench. Yes. For the first time in how many years? Sixteen. So that was back when Howard. That was.
2: I became a minister in 2003. Yep. And since 2003, I was either a minister or shadow minister. Or cabinet minister,
0: and how does that make you feel um, heading back to the backbench to see kind of how um, busy the, the uh, a lot of um, you know parliament is? Like you, you, you've got a lot less on your plate now.
2: Well, I'm busy in a different kind of way. Of yeah redoubled my efforts in my electorate because I'm here more often and people are aware of that so they're making appointments and coming up with events and inviting me to plenty of things. So I'm really busy. I've also had a lot of invitations to do things overseas as a former foreign minister and I think that's great. It shows the regard with which Australia is held in the eyes of uh, the international community and so I've been busy but a different kind of busy. It's good and I'm, I'm comfortable with the decisions that I had to make.
1: Yeah. So, how does how different is it to wake up each morning and have a dossier on your desk from you know the head of the spy agencies to the ag minister to having to hop up now and just going for a surf?
2: I couldn't possibly comment on the intelligence briefings that I received every morning, but I can yeah. tell you it's great being able to go for a run and be down here at Cottesloe in the mornings. It's, As I said, it's a different kind of pressure. Obviously, a cabinet minister and, and the foreign minister has to be on top of so many issues. And, of course, I'm still interested, but not to the same extent. I don't yeah. have to um, answer the media. Oh, what am I doing today? I don't have to answer <laughs> the media every, every moment.
0: There's been a coup culture in Australia over the last... 15 years and to the point, as I mentioned, where Fiji is looking a lot more stable compared to us, where they've had two prime ministers democratically elected over the last decade and we've had um, five, (laughs) three democratically elected and seven prime ministers altogether. What do you think it is? Do do you think it is um, uh, the 24-hour news cycle kind of spooking a lot of maybe technologically illiterate old men?
2: (laughs) Well, that's one way of looking at it. I think that after the stability and certainty of the Howard years, he was Prime Minister for 11 years, there was quite a shock when Kevin Rudd, who was virtually unknown before 2006, uh, became the Labor leader and then won such a significant victory in the 2007 election. And Kevin had stratospheric popularity, according to the polls, but his own side didn't ever really like him or yeah. really trust yeah. him. And when Julia Gillard uh, took on his job, when essentially the first coup, if you like, mm-hmm. it lowered the bar for the reasons that you could move against a leader. And they could never articulate what it was that Kevin had done. They just didn't like him. And that became good enough reason to remove a prime minister or a leader, and we've seen it successively on the Labor side and on our side. And now, if you lose the support of the party room, then you can be removed as leader, and nobody ever actually articulates what it was that they did or didn't do that caused that to come about.
1: Well, we spoke to Kevin a couple of weeks ago for the launch of his book,
2: well, Kevin's over it. He's completely he over is.
1: it. He is. Yeah.
2: <laughs> the events of 2010.
1: Yeah, yeah we asked be him he to. And he said he's totally fine with it. And, you know, it's all just water under the bridge for Kevin. He's completely
2: no. cool about it, I can assure you. I saw in that Mamma Mia movie when, they, when Cher says, uh, grudge holding makes you fat. Oh, Jesus
1: Christ. (laughs) So
2: Kevin's obviously taken that to heart and not a grudge in sight.
1: No, well, uh, he told us, he said um, the lasting impact that he's had on the Labor Party in his eyes is that um, they're no longer able to uh, depose their leaders, you know, just with It's a
2: fascinating legacy when you think that Kevin has cemented Bill Shorten's fortunes. Mm. Yeah. What an irony.
0: It is irony, isn't Mm. it? Yeah, well, essentially, um, um, Kevin was the... um, 2002 Olympic ice skating coach. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh,
1: could you see the Liberals doing anything like that in the future to uh,
0: perhaps consolidating the future of, say, Craig Laundie? Yeah. Or maybe Julie Bishop from May next year. You get to be the leader for 10 years. I, don't know.
2: I cannot envisage a circumstance where the Liberal Party would change the arrangement whereby the party room chooses the leader of the party and the party room chooses the deputy leader. We have two elections, are separate. We have an election for the leader and we have an election for the deputy leader. And I think the party would jealously guard that, uh, that right to elect the leader. Yeah. Whether the lay party, the membership of the Liberal Party has a different view is another matter. But the actual party room, the elected members and senators would guard very jealously their right to elect their leader.
0: There's a lot of people saying, had um, the events of August this year not happened, the Liberals probably wouldn't have needed to worry about the upcoming election. Uh, that In fact, the Liberals probably could have won. Um, I'm not saying they won't now, but I'm just saying... Neither
2: am I, and I was very confident that we would uh, win under Malcolm Turnbull. Yeah. And I'm equally hopeful that we'll win under Scott Morrison uh, because the policies of the party uh, are what counts. And uh, while the popularity of the leader obviously plays into it, um, the policies and the deliverables and what you can do to make a difference in the lives of the Australian people is actually what counts.
0: But do you think there might have been a few people um, on the backbench that didn't want to see Malcolm Turnbull win?
2: Oh, that's far too Machiavellian, even for the Liberal Party.
0: <laughs> so uh, we've also
1: heard recently that there's a 5% chance that a, that the Australian embassy in Israel will be moved. Is that accurate or is that...? I understand
2: just- that that's something that uh, Steve Chobo is reported to have said to the Indonesian officials. I don't know whether that's true or not. Uh, but that's a decision for the new... Um, cabinet and the new leadership team.
0: Do you find you've got plenty of um, good contacts when you want to go on a holiday anywhere else in the world? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, ring up all my former <laughs> foreign minister mates. Yeah. Hi, Boris, I'm here.
0: I've still got yeah. your number. you still got theirs.
2: Uh, yeah, I've still got a lot of contacts. I was in Dubai last weekend. I'd been invited to chair a meeting of the World Economic Forum councils in Dubai in the lead up to Davos. And I caught up with uh, a lot of people that I'd met on the... You know, global stage in the past, former foreign ministers, current foreign ministers, and it was good to you know, keep those contacts alive and, and talk to people about current issues, and there are plenty of global challenges, and I'm deeply interested in foreign affairs still, of course, and Australia's place in the world, so those kind of connections continue, and I used to get the mobile phone numbers of my counterpart so that we could text each other and yeah. you know save the department the hassle of doing cables yeah, yeah. and deal directly <laughs> with the foreign ministers and so i keep in touch with a number of them
0: do you yeah, um, right. did you in your role as foreign minister did you ever get to the point where uh, you felt like just a mother of you know a thousand australian teenagers where were just <laughs> like, what has this idiot found himself into now banged uh, up abroad there
2: were a There was a constant stream of consular cases and you had to be um, alert to issues that could blow up overseas at any time and people can get into trouble for all sorts of reasons. So we had a really focused campaign to try and inform Australian travellers of what to expect when they go overseas. Mm. When you leave Australia, you leave the Australian jurisdiction, you leave the Australian legal system and you are subject to the legal system of the other country. And maybe you should
0: leave last weekend's jeans at home as
2: well. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I've spent a lot of time explaining to people that there's only so much the Australian government can do to extract you from situation ABC in another country. And I would say to people, just imagine if this were to happen to a visitor in Australia. You can't just ring the judge and say... Can you just let them off and ring the police and say, can you drop these charges? It doesn't work that way and it doesn't work that way in other countries.
1: Yeah, because you often hear though, like oh, I remember hearing um, a lot of the details with the Bali 9, they were just asking, you know, how come you just can't get the SAS to go? in. Into Bali in the dead of night mm. and go and get them and then come back here.
2: I think that's called a military invasion. Yeah, yeah. that does have consequences. Yeah, You're sending your military in to rescue people who are in the legal system of another country. Leave yep. that to sixty that minutes. Does, that does <laughs> <laughs> raise some tricky questions, indeed. Yep. Talk about a sleepless night. Imagine if we did that. Yeah. Mm. No, but the, 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 the Bali network. the Bali Nine, of course, was a, a an issue that um, has taken a great deal of diplomatic and consular effort and continues to this day yep. obviously we weren't successful in our um, pleas and advocacy over chan and sukumaran but um, renee lawrence is on the way home so you know it, it really is challenging and difficult but it's beyond belief that people still go overseas with a view to trafficking drugs in or out of australia
0: is it true that there's a framed picture of you in uh, mercedes and Chappell's living room back on the gold coast could you
2: I would expect so. Isn't there one in everyone's living room?
0: Well, there is in this part of the world. Oh, yeah. Well, there would be here in
2: downtown Cottesloe. (laughs) (laughs) I hand them out for free.
0: (laughs) So, um, is it expensive, can we just ask that, when we rotate ministries and cabinets, is that expensive for the Australian taxpayer? Uh,
2: Well, of course. Any change in uh, minister means that there are expenses attached to it. It,
0: Business cards. uh,
2: Well, Surely we do it all online now, don't we?
1: A tea towel in the Parliament House gift shop, too. True, that was uh, true. Changing
2: I, changing photographs. I
1: read that they weren't going to reprint the tea towels with all the Prime Minister's names on them until after next <laughs> election, so they wouldn't have to, to double it up and be like, well, we just have to put Scott on, and then if he wins, then, then we'll do the tea towels. Well,
2: you see, know? I haven't given much thought to the Parliament House gift shop and the tea towel supply, but I'm now thinking about adding that to the cost of doing yeah. business in this in this parliament. Yeah, the cost you know, of tea towels.
0: There's another one actually. um
2: Julie, of a which, uh,
0: <laughs> The concussion test for the for the NRL. They've had to take out who's the current prime minister for these young <laughs> fellas <'cause> they <laughs> could, because they it's wouldn't be able to say already, anyway. So yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> That's a tricky question at the best of times. Yeah. I've I've watched a few of those shows when they've asked who's the who's the prime minister of Australia and you've got something between Bill Clinton. Shane Warne, yeah. <laughs> yeah, whatever.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about your electorate? What's mm. what's going on here? Um, what what are the concerns of the, uh, the oh, this people of... Have... This is
2: a magnificent electorate. The western boundary is the Indian Ocean. The southern boundary is the Swan River. Eastern boundary is the CBD. And the northern boundary is up towards Scarborough, Carranup. So it's the western suburbs of Perth. And it's a mainly residential... Um, suburban electorate, but it has a number of small businesses, and a number of the major health institutions, so Charles Gardner Hospitals here, the New Perth Children's Hospital, and the University of Western Australia. So a lot of institutions here, uh, s- uh, some very high-income people here, uh, also some low-income people. So it's a it's a mixed socio-economic electorate it's been in liberal hands since it was formed in 1949 apart from two years when it was held by a liberal independent mm-hmm. and it's a very strong uh, liberal area in terms of the support that we have received over the years and it's a magnificent place we've got kings park bold park all these areas in it so as you can see it's a uh, a beautiful part of the world
0: and uh, say if you were to just all of a sudden resign from the Liberal Party, and maybe this the Liberals lost this seat to an independent, would that be a red flag for the uh, for the government?
2: Well, I haven't given the Liberal Party the problem of a by election in the seat of Curtin, no. so we just talking hypotheticals right
0: yeah we've been doing a lot of them actually between um between our interview with uh, kevin rudd and, and, and richard D um one one hypothetical is
2: i don't get the connection kevin rudd richard Di natale and then me how yeah. does that work
0: oh we, we, we cast a wide net yeah. that yeah. <laughs> is, i guess
2: uh, kevin and I mates yeah i get on fine with richard yeah there you go
0: there's a lot of um hypotheticals when you're talking to the greens mm. as well you mm, know, indeed. if you were
2: Mm. Um, so th- those existential type <laughs> questions, yeah.
0: In 40 years or so, if you guys managed to get enough uh, support, uh, what would you do as Prime Minister, Mr Di Natale? Well, the first time we interviewed
1: uh, the Prime Minister, was uh, it was the same day as the state election here in WA, where um, he was asked not to attend. <laughs> um,
2: I love those state elections <laughs> where they don't want to know the feds, and then... <laughs> Um, the next time round, they want the feds all over it. You just can never keep them happy, can yeah. you?
0: No. Nah. I don't think Anastasia would want Bill Shorten in Queensland um, on the campaign trail. There's a few different um, conflicting things going on with Adani yeah. and all that kind of stuff. That,
2: just a couple, yeah. yeah. So some of these state uh, elections are very difficult. And, of course, after the event, the justification after the event is always fascinating. Well, it was all the federal government's fault or it had nothing to do with the federal government. Yeah. Mm. So well, I suppose, we just can't win either way.
1: I suppose now, because uh, Scott to be quite popular here now because he's just handed back a whole bunch of GST. So
2: indeed, the GST legislation going through the federal parliament was very well received here in Western Australia. I don't want you to ever underestimate the anger that was felt in this state that we were down to thirty cents in the dollar of the GST. Clearly, the system was never meant to operate that way, that one state could be so disadvantaged. And so putting a floor in it of 70 cents um, certainly makes um, sense so that no state will suffer the fate that we did, but also the extra $4.7 billion, thanks very much, which will go into important infrastructure in this state. It's a massive state. It drives the global economy. The mining sector is picking up again. You know, we've been through the lull of the Post-construction phase in the mining sector, but you can just tell there's an excitement in the mining and resource sector again. But a different, different metals and different um, minerals. Lithium, you would yeah. have heard all about the and lithium cobalt. valley yeah. since mm. you've been here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, can we want to talk about a controversial topic now? Secession. Whoa. Uh, have you yeah. ever had to sit down?
2: There's nothing controversial yeah. about that in Western no Australia. <laughs> yeah.
0: no, like, Not how, in Queensland uh, either. How close was? Australia
1: to, to losing the West to, you know, could we have had a President Colin Barnett and a Vice President Troy Buswell? No.
2: Or you could have had it the other way around. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: which would have been even, even sweeter. <laughs> a little bit on the nose. Well, Sarah,
2: West know. Australia wasn't in the original um, federation mm-hmm. back in 1901.
0: Well, they all spoke then, Dutch here back then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or
2: French. <laughs> uh, and... Then there was that uh, vote on the secessionist movement. And it's just below the surface here. Yeah. Every now and again, um, you'll hear Western Australians say, mm, we can go it alone. Yeah. But we're so integrated now. The economy is so integrated nationally. And let's face it, economies are integrated globally. Mm-hmm. We're part of the global economy, the national economy, the local economy. Mm. It's all too interlinked now.
0: So you don't think they'd get a it over the line...
2: It's tempting, isn't it? Mm. Just to use the word. Yeah, wax. wax it. it sounds pretty good. You know, yeah, just shout that from the rooftops. Well, we've got. There's been
0: talk of a North Quexit, so we don't know. Um, we don't know. It's it's a real thing. The catters are very onto it. Um, yeah. George Christensen. Do is.
2: they want to do Northern Australia? Capricorn, Capricorn line across the Capricorn yeah. line.
0: Yeah. So Batuta would actually probably be part of the the, the southerners in that, yeah. in that circumstance. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think there's only two or three tar
1: roads going into WA from the east, there's one. On the Nullarbor, and there's hey, two up in the Kimberley,
0: isn't We there?
2: don't make it easy for you. No. <laughs> no. I mean, we don't want hordes of eastern staters coming over here. You can visit, but mm. you've got to go back again.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Beautiful one day, not, not Sunshine Coast the next, not Gold Coast the next. Oh, this is
2: perfection. Have you been up to the Kimberley?
0: Yes. Yet? Yeah, I have. That's
2: pretty stunning. And it Broome, is. and those areas are out of this world. So, here we are.
0: Well, speaking of that, that idea of secession and, you know, mm. us against the world, this is this looks like a very nice part of the world, very nice part of Perth. Beautiful part How of How do Perth. you deal with the NIMBYs? Because I'm sure you have a few in your electorate.
2: <laughs> well, Cottesloe is a good example. Mm-hmm. This is not an overdeveloped beachfront, yeah. can I put it that way? And often when there are proposals to develop along Cottesloe Beach, there's considerable resistance because people like it to be unspoiled. It's the same as the Perth foreshore and there are some developments on the Perth foreshore now but many people just like the unspoiled natural beauty of the place and it's that balancing between urbanisation and development versus the status quo Mm -hmm. and this electorate has its fair share of development challenges and issues and even if they're not involving the federal government. My constituents like to come to see me to get my views on uh, there's a proposal to develop a, a restaurant at the end of the groin. There are always proposals to develop the beachfront here. Uh, but so far they've been pretty well resisted by the local councils and people who feel strongly enough about it, of course, get elected to the local councils.
1: Are there any skills that you've found that have been transferable from you know kind of being on the world stage, having to deal with the foreign minister of Russia to dealing with, you know, an irate Literature. kind of person here is, is like...
2: Very similar experiences, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, negotiating skills, patience, empathy, mm-hmm. um, you know, backing your judgment, standing your ground, all those sorts of things. Yeah, they can come in handy anywhere, anytime.
0: Yeah. We have to say you've done very well. There's no subways or uh, kind of city beach or gelatos along the beach here. So you've... you're doing you're miles ahead of the Wentworth electorate anyway yeah we have to say or Noosa (laughs) I suppose it's a bit hard to
1: compare the Bondi Beach with this one I think you know I think this one's a bit off the beaten track.
2: Cottesloe Beach is well known Mm. Um, it was the scene of Janie Priest kissing Prince Charles Mm. years ago remember that she was a a local model here and (laughs) um, brought a bit of Notoriety to Cottesloe Beach, but it is a beautiful part of the world, and I love coming down here in the mornings and doing a soft sand run and a bit of a dip in the ocean. We've had a shark attack or two around here, which makes me very cautious, but nevertheless, it's a beautiful part of the world, and people come from all over just to spend some time on Cottesloe Beach. So I can understand why the locals want it to remain. As is, and not bring too much traffic into the place, but still, some quality restaurants and cafes are, are pretty popular here.
0: Now, you've you've been kind of, um, as we said before, sixteen years in the kind of in a, in a ministerial role. Who do you think's been the kind of most uh, competent operator you've seen, other than yourself? In, um, <laughs> in
2: um, I'm very good at voting for myself. Yeah, yeah thanks.
0: <laughs> um, you had WA backing you too, didn't you?
2: Well, let's not go there. (laughs) I think one of the most competent, well, two of the most competent uh, were John Howard and Peter Costello. I thought they made the dynamic duo. They made a a great team. They were very different personalities, but they brought their uh, respective skills to their roles, and hence we had enormous stability at that time. Even though there was mm, a level of competition between the two, Mm. no question, they nevertheless uh, always put their portfolio and their uh, leadership issues to one side, where they disagreed and and really acted in the national interest. I thought they were a pretty amazing team.
0: It's a shame they never got to swap jobs like Turnbull and Skomar did. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it didn't quite turn out that way. No. There was a there was a little movement at the station in 2007, but uh, no, John held firm. So he um, he didn't give in to Alexander Downes Downes' treaties that he move on. Oh, did I just? Break of confidence? No, I'm sure I didn't. That must have been public news at the time. She says, looking desperately at Lauren. It was public at the time, wasn't it? Yes.
1: Well, he ended up in the plum job, though, old Downer. He ended up over there in Australia House.
2: It is a a very important diplomatic post up there with the ambassador to Washington. Uh, the ambassador yeah. to Tokyo, the high commissioner to London. Yeah, it's an extraordinarily busy job too because well, so many Australians are in London at any one time.
1: Yeah. It was nice how they gave that job to Kim Beasley and then when it was Kevin Rudd's turn, you know, to be the head of the United Nations, it was nice that Malcolm was able to really help him out there
0: too.
2: Well, I think my position on that was well known, so I needn't comment <laughs> further.
0: So what, does that frustrate you when you hear... Um, people saying oh you know the plum job of of working in washington or london because you know like they are quite busy
2: oh a plum job in the sense that it has um, a great deal of status in Mm. the diplomatic world no question but of course they work hard and they are representing australia and they have to drive out to the airport to pick up the foreign minister and (laughs) that can't be that much fun
0: no what would be the plum job to finish in though like if you were talking about yeah. ones that like is in terms of output like, uh, yeah, yeah work-life like, balance what like, would be the would like be island if you were a defat lifer a D-fat
2: lifer
1: and then mm. in, 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 like for the last 10 years of your professional life they handball you say all right you're going to be the ambassador to antigua and trinidad you know where the only thing you'd have to do is handshake a couple of Cricket players every well,
2: that's not all three bad. or four years. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Or anywhere in the Pacific. Could you imagine it, being given the the High Commission to Fiji? Oh, yeah.
1: yeah.
2: That would be good. Oh, no, that would be busy. I'm not saying it wouldn't be busy because there are plenty yeah. of, About 350,000 Australians go there as tourists, so that you've got that problem. So if you're thinking of somewhere where you're kind of quite removed, how about the Vatican?
0: There's lots of Faster. rules, though. <laughs> now, um, you just dropped an interesting stat on us. And I'm sure you've got plenty of them. What's the most interesting one you've learned? Um you learn in your work overseas? Like where's the where did you not expect to see that many Australians?
2: Australians are everywhere. Yeah. Believe yeah. me. We are inveterate travellers and Australians turn up in the most unexpected places. And you expect to see them in, you know, the global centres. Silicon Valley and Hollywood surprised me how many Australians are there. I mean, that's not unexpected entirely, but the sheer scale of the Australian invasion is something A lot of Bondi kids starting,
0: working on apps over there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh,
2: but no, you come across Australians anywhere and everywhere. I remember going to Tehran, which was quite controversial at the time. I was the first Australian minister to visit Tehran in about 12 years or more. And the visit was highly scripted and was very carefully managed by the Iranians until I met with the foreign minister Zarif and said I just want to have a look around Tehran so he essentially called off the security detail and said go where you want so we went to a marketplace unannounced but we had a bit of a media crew with us because there was a great deal of interest in my visit and we're walking through this exotic beautiful Persian market in Tehran and I hear, oi, jolly! And I turn around. And it's a young couple from Sydney who, he was Iranian, but they'd been born in Australia and they got married and their honeymoon was going to be in Tehran. So they were just wandering through and Persian saw me marketplace, there. marketplace,
0: you couldn't avoid them.
2: Exactly, there they are in Persian marketplaces.
0: Well, we're, um, we're almost out of time here. Thank you for... Uh, for meeting with us today. You're just
2: going to go for a swim, aren't you? Well,
0: yeah. I and mean, you're looking at the ocean, but I've got a am. little bit <laughs> in the reflections of the fridge. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: It's very nice to um, to see your part of the world. Yeah. And well, thank, thank you for having us.
2: Well, thank you for coming along, and don't be a stranger. You've got to come back more often. And yep. next time we'll head over to Rottnest Island and see a quokka.
0: See so your, your, your your one polling booth over there.
2: Yeah, you bet. <laughs> uh, I have no trouble getting volunteers to be yeah. at the Rottnest polling booth on election day. No trouble I at bet. all.
0: Thank you, Julie Bishop. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thank you, Julie.